Well, good morning, friends. Good to be with you. A little moment here of uh, somewhat, what do they call this, a palate cleanser. Uh, we've just had an amazing time in God's presence together. Um, so um, let me do something ridiculous and explain to you what is going on with the crazy shoes today. Uh, you, you may have noticed uh, the tie-dye ones Calvin had, very stylish. Um, you probably didn't even see Dan's because they were camouflage. That's what we call a dad joke. Uh, and I have this sort of Christmas themed. Uh, this last Tuesday night was our annual staff and leadership Christmas party. And we were over at Out of Balance for a great dinner. And I, I just, I want to pause because we sometimes move off of these mountaintops and on to the next thing in such a hurry that we don't celebrate. And I just want to celebrate you, disciples, because for the better part of 15 Christmases, every year, kind of the first Tuesday of December, uh, you'll find your staff and leadership at some restaurant in town celebrating our annual Christmas party. And our, our staff and, and leaders know this is like the one time a year you can order anything and as much of anything off the menu as possible. And, and it's the kind of the only way sometimes you, you get a, a thank you of any sort. And so we just celebrated, had a great night. Um, thanks for sending us out to dinner. Uh, you're, you did that, and you don't know that maybe, but um, you did. So thanks for your generosity and uh, for sending us out for a nice evening. And at, at that night, um, the staff all came together to present Jen and I with some pretty lavish gifts, one of which, um, I don't know if you can see it online, these matching uh, croc shoes, which I'd never even had a pair in my life. I'd never even tried a pair on in my life um, because I mock them, and I got to say, they're pretty comfy, people. Um, if you're like me and you're like, I am never putting those stupid things on, um, you know, stay the course um, because you, you may find yourself wearing them. So anyway, thanks for that. Thanks for your generosity. Thanks for being good. Hey, one of the, one of the people who were with us on Tuesday night, actually for his first time at one of our staff leadership uh, Christmas parties, was our very own Sean Dugan. And I, I want to invite Sean to come up. Sean, join me. Everybody say hi to Sean and give him a warm welcome. Hello. Um, you may or may not know this, but um, over the last year, Sean has started something new around here that I feel like is, is worth mentioning again. Tell them, it's called Mosaic. Uh, tell them just briefly kind of the Genesis story of Mosaic. Where did this come from? What is it? Well, the Mosaic is Sacramento's newest all-ages venue. It is up and coming, and we have put on a half dozen performances so far. And it has been a hit. Um, this building, we clear out all the chairs. We bring in the sound system. We get it up and going. And this place fills up from front to back with people from the community that come to watch their favorite bands come and play. And the whole idea was to provide a safe space for bands to come and perform their craft to all their fans in a space that they're true to respect and just making good use of this beautiful building that we have here. So... I think uh, if you're anything like me, you spent some of your teenage years going on Friday nights to go find a local show somewhere. Uh, I grew up in a small little town of Reading, and there was not a lot to do in that town. And so you hunted out, where is the punk band playing tonight? And that's what we did on a Friday night. And a lot of those places were not safe places, were not great places to hang out, were not the kinds of places you parents of teenagers would likely drop your kids off. Um, and yet, when you roll into this parking lot on a mosaic night, there's hundreds of teenagers and 20-somethings floating around, but you'll also see bright orange security vests, and you'll see 
clear rules followed, and um, Sean just creating this culture and atmosphere um, that really loves bands. And I, I think the thing that makes me as proud of Mosaic as anything is the fact that so many venues are looking for a way to make a slice. How, how, do, we, how do we get money off these teenage bands? They want to play, and how do we make money off them? And Sean came to me some years back and said, I want to create this in such a way that we actually platform the bands, and they get all the benefit, and they make the money, not us. And so, Sean, what in the world, man? You've, like, donated how many hundreds and hundreds of hours. Um, you must be continuing to do this because you see God doing something. Uh, where do you see God at work? Well, this is something that I feel like I've always wondered what my spiritual gift is. Yeah. And when you're in high school and you're just playing guitar in your bedroom, you don't really think of any way that that could translate to anything being for the kingdom of God. <laughs> so it just it made sense that this opportunity comes up Sacramento is in a desperate need for venues in general, let alone one that treats the bands and everyone involved with respect. So being able to donate all my years of expertise in this area to going into this endeavor, I wouldn't have, like, I can't think of anything more perfect to go into. So I'm really grateful that this church has opened up the opportunity for me and everyone that I brought in to be able to just do what it is that we do best and make it to the fullest potential it can be. Amen. Amen. Uh, tell us about, um, one last thing, tell us about this whole thing with Folsom's Hope. This is insane. And I'm guessing not something you set out to do when you wanted to open up a venue, but you guys did an incredible thing this last month. Talk about that. Yeah. First and foremost, with this venue, you know, I'd never done this before. I was being sure, first, first and foremost, not to destroy the building. And to, <laughs> And to, um, yeah, right. you know, stay solvent and make sure that we can actually um, provide the experience that we set out to do. And thankfully, these first few dozen, um, half dozen shows, they have been doing well. And we've been able to build up our reserves to the point where we are now overflowing. And this last show, we made a very specific effort to benefit Folsom's Hope, as the church has been doing. And the, all the proceeds and all the extra donations that the crowd and the bands that came and they donated their time and their craft, we were able to raise $1,500 to go specifically to Folsom's Hope. And that's the first donation we've made, and we're hoping to continue on this journey and overflow to ever um, other local pursuits. It's amazing. So that thing you're doing in your bedroom uh, that you wonder, that you, you're playing piano, you're playing guitar, you're, you're writing poetry, you're, you're giving deep thought to something, you go, I don't know how this could ever be a benefit to the kingdom of God. Uh, you know what? It can be. And um, God wants to use your individual gifts to serve his grand mission. Uh, God bless you, man. Thanks for all you're doing. Give him a big warm round of applause. Uh, if you haven't already, grab the QR code up on screen behind me for today's program. It'll give you some info about other stuff going on around here in the weeks ahead. Um, really, first and foremost, our Christmas Eve gathering. There are flyers out in the lobby you can grab and give to neighbors, coworkers, friends, family. You should have probably got one in your mailbox at home, like actually in the mail. Uh, if you did not get that, please fill out a feedback card and give us your address so we can be sure that you get stuff like that. But also in today's digital program, you'll find notes for today's talk. So grab that and uh, get there. And let me begin as we kind of shift gears to scripture this morning. 
by posing a question to you. When was the last time you found yourself waiting on someone or something? The last time you found yourself just waiting on something or someone. Tom Petty wrote some decades back that it's the waiting that's the hardest part. That'll be stuck in your head if you know the song for the rest of the day, and you're welcome. Uh, it's probably not a question that you've probably pondered all that much, if at all, in life. Like, when was the last time I found myself waiting on someone or something? But I think it's a valuable question for us, not simply to raise, but to wrestle through as followers of this way called Christianity. For, for no other reason, not that there aren't more reasons, but for no other reason than the fact that when we explore what's going on inside of us, and we pull the trap doors or peel back the layers or go through additional hallways, whatever imagery works for you to explore your interior life, at, at the conclusion of that searching of what motivates you, what's going on in you, we always find God. And if in the exploration of what's going on in me, why am I angry at this? Why am I excited about this? Why am I impatient with that? If we are not finding God in that, our search is not yet finished. Because we, we've been made in the image of God. You have been made uniquely and beautifully crafted. In your mother's womb, he knew every sinew and every tendon in you. And he created you in his image. So it stands to reason, in fact, I would argue with every bit of guts I got, that created in God's image, you and I, when searching out ourselves, find God. This is what differentiates the Christian way from simple self-help. We're not doing self-help around here. We're trying to find God. We're trying to experience God, to learn about God, and to walk with God. So in answering this question, or at least wrestling with the question, when was the last time I found myself waiting on someone or something? We're giving ourselves a gift. This is part of the gift of the Advent season, to once again accept or to lean to the invite given to us by the story of Israel. And in as brief terms as I possibly can, in the, in the story of Israel, you find a people being encouraged to wait on the hope of a Messiah. It's not that they don't see God's hand. Of course they do. They see God move left, right, and center all the time. But in all of that, the answer is always left. The, the promise is always left incomplete. The, the covenant always seems to or lack of the arrival of the Messiah. And so, in all of that, are we failing here? Let's just try this. How's that? There we go. So, so uh, let me back up, back to Israel, right? So in the story of Israel, we're invited in to this reality. That the story of Israel reminds us of a people in waiting. 
But you and I now live in, in a post-incarnational world, or at least in a world after the incarnation of Christ. So we don't just wait on Christ. We now welcome him and his way. You see, Israel could merely wait. They could see visions and flashes of God's work. They could see God's hand in their midst, of course. But they were always waiting on the Messiah. And we now get to live in this world where we not only wait in the various things we wait on in life, just waiting on a promotion, waiting on a woman, waiting on whatever. We also get to welcome this way of Christ. We get to welcome Jesus. And so, in this juxtaposition of waiting and welcoming, ask yourself yet again the question, when was the last time I waited on someone or something? Try to remember a time where you, were, you had been waiting for so long for someone or something that you just simply concluded that the waiting was futile and you just moved ahead without an answer, without a promotion, without the relationship, without the money. Maybe you just concluded it was a waste of time. We turn our attention now to the text for today in 2 Peter chapter 3. The Apostle Peter writes, but in verse 8, but you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with the terrible noise, and the very elements themselves will disappear in fire, and the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. Pray with me if you would. Lord Jesus, uh, bring us to your feet in these moments that we would hear your word, that we would grasp the good news that is your coming, your arrival, your incarnation. Teach us your way, O Lord, that we might walk in your truth, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As you know, uh, Jen and I's youngest of four, Aaron, is quite the soccer player. And he's been playing soccer for a long, long time. And I, I don't really come from a soccer background. It was a bit of a new sport for me as a parent, kind of bringing kids up. I mean, I played youth soccer, but didn't, you know, it was just a cluster of grapes running around chasing a ball. And, and then Aaron kind of excelled beyond that and became fairly competitive. And one of the uniquenesses of soccer that makes it different, I think from any other sport, and please, if you know your sport that is the same, don't email me. Um, uh, what makes it so unique is this reality that in soccer, you have a total arbitrary ending to the game. Maybe you didn't know this. So, and this is true at every level of soccer once it gets pretty competitive. So, at my son's level, he plays at the high school level and competition level. At the end of a match, you know, you have a big scoreboard that's counting it down, and they play on a, on a football field, only it's bigger because our soccer is harder. And, um, yes, I said it. Um, and there's a big scoreboard, and it counts down typically from 40 minutes per half. And when it reaches the two-minute mark, it stops the clock running. 
kind of reverts from American football where the clock keeps stopping all the time until two minutes where it runs. In soccer, the clock runs till two minutes and then it stops. And at that point, on two halves of the game, the referee now has complete arbitrary decision as to when the half ends. It's like the weirdest thing that gives this like really odd element to the game. And so, as you might imagine, it creates quite a division between the two teams. So if you are in a game, especially in the second half, and it reaches the two minutes and it's a close game and you're ahead, you're screaming at the ref to end the game. Like, it's been two minutes because you want to end up, right? You want to end winning. And you're, you're, you're going, has it been two minutes? You're asking the other parents, feels like it's been two minutes. Feels like it's been three minutes. I think it's been 18 minutes. What's going on here? And the ref can just end the game whenever she or he feels the game should end. And there, you know, there's a few elements that go into that, but uh, there's an arbitrariness to it all. And of course, if you're behind in the game and you're trying to catch up, you want the ref to continue to allow the game to go longer. Well, you know, that kid is delaying. He's not throwing the ball in on time. That goalie, you know, has fallen on the ball and is just laying on the ground with the ball. Goalie parents, you know the drill. Um, you want them to speed it up. Well, last night, Aaron uh, was playing in the third of three matches for a tournament that they were playing at their school. They'd won their first two matches. This final match, they had to tie the match or win to win the whole tournament. For the whole game, just about, they were down three goals to one. And it, wouldn't you know it, as the clock strikes two minutes to go in the game, they scored a second goal. Now they're only down by one. And we wanted that two minutes to just go on forever. Like, just keep giving us time. They're delaying, they're delaying, they're delaying. Well, they tied up the game, and they ended in a tie. They won the tournament. Everybody prevails. Lord Jesus, thank you, right? Well, but the point of that is, isn't it funny how when you're waiting on something, especially something that feels arbitrary, your patience has so much well, you're so impacted in your patience by the outcome you're already experiencing. You ever notice that? Right? If you're on vacation and it's going great, what do you say at the end of vacation? Ah, oh, just one more day, right? Wouldn't it just been great to have one more day? But if you're at work in an awful meeting and it goes over 5 o'clock, what do you want? End this meeting, right? So depending on your experience, you want time to go slower or time to go faster. It's an amazing thing. And, and I think the incredible thing that Second Peter teaches us in this moment, he says the Lord in verse 9 isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he's being patient for what? For your sake. You see, God's patience in bringing about the promise, bringing about his promise, is for your sake. And now in context of thinking through the times you've been waiting on something, the times you've been waiting on someone, you thought, God, why are you not moving? Why has the promotion not come through? Why has the... the salary not changed? God, why has my spouse or my loved one not gotten it yet? Why, why, why? And we think, why are you not working, God? Why are you not making this happen? And in those moments, we're reminded in Second Peter that God is being patient, and it's for our sake. It's for our good. 
And we don't know what all is going on. We don't know what it is he's developing in us in that waiting. We don't know what he's giving us as a gift by saying, wait, you're not ready yet for that thing. Mary, mother of Jesus, carries Christ the full term and births him in a lowly, borrowed space. But the text says nothing about her worry. You ever notice that? Mary's not stressed out. Only her magnificent song that she writes, which we'll look at next week in week three of our series. So I don't want to steal too much thunder from next week, but we just get the joy of her getting to be the mother of the Messiah. The timing, she's patient on. When, when the baby arrives, she's not questioning God. God, why, why now? Why here? We're just in town for census. Why couldn't you have waited until we went back home? There's none of that. It's like, I, I just get to birth the Messiah, Jesus. And then the wise men who arrive from the east in Bethlehem. Well, they follow the star in Bethlehem. And, and they're not concerned with Herod's evil desires to kill this young claimed Messiah. In fact, you know, Herod brings him, maybe you don't, but Herod brings him in and, and says, where are you going? Go, go visit the baby because ultimately he wants to use them as spies. And, and they go visit Jesus. And again, the text says nothing of their worry. It says nothing of them warning Mary and Joseph that Herod is after them. They bring gifts. They bring their worship. And they're confident, or at least you get this sense that they're confident if this Messiah, equal heir in the Trinity of God, is actually the God that people say he is, he's probably not too worried about little old Herod. Like you just feel it in, in the bones of the story. They don't feel the need to take over the situation and, and protect this young Jesus. They just feel as though it's covered. Herod will come after Jesus and the rest of the story. We know that Joseph is woken by an angel of the Lord in the middle of the night who says, hey, get your wife and child together. You've got to get out of here. You've got to go to Egypt, which is a fascinating circle back that God calls Israel out of Egypt and sends Jesus back to Egypt to redeem the world. When we follow the will or the leading of God, when we submit ourselves to the teachings and the life of Jesus, and when we do this in the power of the Spirit, we have no hurry and no worry. We just don't have to, we don't have to live with that. We live with just the grace and the presence and the way of Jesus. You see, when we live the Jesus way, obeying, and following God's direction, time is always on our side. See, in Christ, time is on your side. God's very patient. He's working all things together for those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. And so God's being very patient with us. And there are some things in your life that you're going, why is this grief still going on? Why is this frustration still going on? Why is this whatever still happening? Because God's being very patient 
to develop in you something that he longs to do. Remember the text in verse 8. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years like a day. See, the Lord is not really being slow about his promise. Continue on into verse 11. Peter goes on. He says, since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives you should live. Looking forward to the day of God and hurrying it along. On that day, he will set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away in flames. But we are looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth, he has promised. A world filled with God's righteousness. What are the new heavens and the new earth? A world filled with God's righteousness. Someone said, uh, has, have asked to describe, describe the kingdom of God, and it's been described many different ways, but maybe most simply. The kingdom of God is any place where what God says goes. That's the kingdom of God. Any place that where what God says goes. No fighting, no arguing, no pushing, no shoving, no insisting, no delaying. Just, God, what you say goes. Have you ever heard somebody in religious circles say, well, it's all going to burn? If, if you have heard that, then you have a grandmother in your life, right? I mean, it just feels like the most grandmotherly thing ever to say. I think that that probably finds, that statement finds its origin story in this very text. That it's all, that we look around and even the elements will go up in smoke. And what we will be left with is what? person we're becoming. God's righteousness. God's kingdom. God's patience with us and with the world, with the things that are changing in us, with the things that aren't changing but should be changing. God's patience with those remains the same. His patience in all of this gives us the opportunity to discover how joyful and peaceful a godly life really is. How wonderful and pleasing it is to be with God and his people. Imagine looking forward to more waiting in your life. Imagine getting to a place in your own spiritual formation, in your own discipleship, where the things you're being forced to wait on, you actually looked forward to more waiting because you knew that in the waiting, God was doing something. Like there's like a God in the universe at work, and he's doing something. You go, oh, I got to wait more? So that means you're going to do more, God. I get that that feels like a bit of a stretch, but this is what we're being invited into. Eugene Peterson, when he paraphrases this in the message, he writes these same verses this way. Uh, listen to this. Since everything here today might be gone tomorrow, do you see how essential it is to live a holy life? Daily expect the day of God, eager for its arrival. The galaxies will burn up and the elements melt on that day, but we'll hardly notice because we'll be looking the other way. 
ready for the promised new heaven and the promised new earth, all landscaped with righteousness. And it begins to fill out this picture, like Mary, mother of Jesus, and her husband Joseph, with all their questions and all their doubts and all their confusion about this baby. Joseph's got to be going, really, Mary? Seriously? And, and these three wise men who come to worship and bring gifts and this crazy King Herod who's after them. And in all of the chaos, they get to arrive at this place. And none of that is in view anymore. There's just the presence of the Messiah. Just Jesus. You see, the only thing worth being impatient for is God's rule and reign in your life. <laughs> you want something to be impatient about? I'll give you one thing. Be impatient with the developing of God's rule and reign in your life. And say, that's what I want to hurry. That's what I want to hasten, is what the ESV uses that language. Hasten the day. Speed along the day where God's rule and reign is so at work in my life that I'm impatient for anything else. Let me ask the questions this way. If your career was gone tomorrow, but Jesus lived in his person in your house, would you sulk or would you celebrate? You got no more career. Nobody knows your name anymore. You have no way to make money. But Jesus lives in your house. Would you celebrate? How about this? How about think about it this way? If your life savings and every possession you have disappeared overnight, but Jesus was on your couch in the morning. I guess you wouldn't have a couch, but, you know, play along. You're like, wait a minute. I get to keep my couch? That changes everything. I love that thing. Everything's gone. Your favorite car, the motorcycle, the bike, the, the watch, the boat, the, the IRA, the savings account, it's all gone, and you are broke. But Jesus in the flesh is in your house. Are you happy? Are you scared to death? Or, or maybe look at that coin on the other side. Flip the coin to the other side and, and think about it more realistically from this vantage point. If six months from now you're still waiting on your promotion, or your financial breakthrough, but Jesus is near, would you be patient? Or, or maybe it's three years passes and nothing in your spouse or loved one has changed, but you know Jesus is near. Could you be patient? You see, God's delaying of some of these changes in our lives or even putting up with our own delays is to our own benefit. Uh, I'm confident we're, we're greatly helped when we think about these words if we think about Peter's words in context. So let me, as quickly as I can, paint a quick context for what's going on in Peter's life or who Peter is and all of this. He writes this letter from a Roman jail where he's awaiting his own execution. It's written 
give or take 30 to 35 years after the ascension of Christ. So you have one of the 12 disciples in Peter who was with Jesus just about every waking moment of Jesus' ministry. Here sits a man, now likely in his 50s, awaiting his own death and writing about how worthy a life is that is lived in eager anticipation of Jesus' coming. It's a different waiting than Israel did before the incarnation of Christ, but it's a waiting nonetheless. And remember, guys, this is Peter. This is like the beloved disciple, the one closest to Jesus in some ways. This is the guy who was invited into some pretty special places with Jesus. Remember the transfiguration? I think it's Matthew 13. Don't hold me to that. You could Google transfiguration and read it. On this mountain of transfiguration, Jesus takes Peter and, and two brothers up up the mountain. And, and up the mountain, Elijah appears and Moses appears. And Jesus is transfigured. And, and it says that his face shone like the sun and his clothes were pure white. And their immediate response is, we've got to build an altar. We've got to build something to commemorate this. And Jesus kind of redirects that. Like, I don't need a, an, an altar. I need your heart. That, that's, like, what I'm after here. This is Peter. This is the stuff he saw. Or think about Peter being invited into that home of Jairus' daughter, who is already dead on the bed, and Jesus raises her to new life. And Peter's in the room and sees it in the room where it happened, right? I mean, the, these sorts of concepts come from a biblical worldview of how powerfully life-changing it is to be in a room where it happened. This is Peter who held the bread and the fish that Jesus multiplied and looked at it with other disciples and went, there's no way, Jesus. you got to send these people away to eat. And Jesus goes, just hand out the bread and the fish. Watch what I'll do. So Peter, fast forward some 30, 35-ish years later, sitting in prison, waiting to die, is waiting like a different kind of guy. He's not waiting, oh dear, what's going to happen about my execution? Oh no, how are they going to kill me? Oh gosh, are they going to crucify me on a cross? Oh, I can't die like Jesus. Oh, none of that is in his language. You know what he's writing about? How beautiful it is to be with Jesus. How amazing it is to be shaped in the ways of Christ because he's been there, because he's lived it, because he was with this guy. That's when waiting changes, friends. And we're wise to do similarly. Though it's unlikely that any of us will ever sit in prison awaiting our own execution for our Christianity, we have our own little prisons that we wait in. And I think we would be wise to never approach the waiting from the fear that Jesus is waiting to judge us or some, the, the shoe is waiting to drop and rather wait from an eagerness that Jesus is going to reign. And we can rest in the confidence that he's here. And just one final comment before the band comes to lead us in a closing song. I would suggest to you what maybe I've said in other ways already that the most important thing you're waiting on in your life, the most important thing you're waiting on in your life is Christ's transformation from who you are today 
to who he wants you to be next year. That's the most important thing you can wait on. And the beauty of that waiting is you get to welcome the Spirit's activity in your life to do it. 2 Peter 3.14 says this, And so, dear friends, while you are waiting, not if you are waiting, not maybe someday you might have to wait, but he says, while you are waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in his sight. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we recognize that it is not an if we will wait, but it is a while we wait. God, that you would find our lives to be peaceful and to be blameless in your sight. That you would find us to be a people who have been shaped in your image. Who say not just we are willing to wait for you, Jesus, to change this, but we welcome your change in us. This is the beauty of Advent for us, Christ. And at least in part, the beauty is we don't just wait for your second coming. We welcome your changing of us now. Transform us in your image. And begin that even now as we proclaim our trust in you and our worship of you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.